Hello, everyone, and Happy New Year, and welcome back to Kodo's Cinema. I'm your host, Mark Kodo, and today, as we kick off the spring 2020 semester, I'm going to count down my favorite movies of 2019 in top 10. And just to be clear, I'm talking about the movies from 2019. Now, I understand that today you guys are back from winter break, and that is fine because I'm pretty sure some people are tired and they want to get their books and settle settle in. But hey, just to refresh, let's take a time machine, go back in time, grab some popcorn, sit on your chair, or anywhere at least, and listen to my top 10 movies of 2019. And one more thing, major spoilers ahead. Number 10, Star Wars Episode 9, The Rise of Skywalker. Kicking off this list is we're traveling to a galaxy far, far away for the very last time in the Skywalker Saga and sequel trilogy. Spoilers ahead for those who have not seen this movie. The, mov- the movie sets one year after the events of Ryan Johnson's The Last Jedi, which is basically episode 8, with J.J. Abrams returning to direct where we find Kylo Ren, played by Adam Driver, meeting the, no- the now-return Emperor Palpatine. Pop- played by Ian McDiarmid, who created Supreme Leader Snook, and setting up the final order just to, to wipe out the entire, entire galaxy. This leads Ray, played by da- Daisy Ridley, Poe Dameron, Oscar Isaac, and Finn, John Boyega, and the entire gang to team up and stop the First Order with the help of the Rebels and the return of Lando Calrissian, played by Billy D. Williams. And we can't forget the posthumous performance by, by our princess herself, Carrie Fisher as Layla, Layla, who passed away in 2016, a year before The Last Jedi. Also, unreleased footage of The Force Awakens was used in this film. So, yeah, yes, yes, that was unreleased footage from Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens to uh, recreate uh, Carrie Fisher's uh, Princess Leia. So, yes. Now, actually, I understand that uh, a lot of people took uh, issues with this movie because of the fact that um, it's the fact that it's it's the aftermath of Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, which is directed by Ryan Johnson. And yeah, yeah. And to be clear, I mean, I actually love this movie. This this is actually a good movie. I mean, like. I know, I know. There were actually flaws in there were actually flaws in this movie, but I'm just gonna be totally honest with you. And to all of you people out there, Star Wars has its fair share of flaws. Okay, not every Star Wars movie is perfect, and and I don't care it's the original trilogy, prequel trilogy, or sequel trilogy, or anything that is related to Star Wars canon. Okay, okay, just understand this: every Star Wars movie has a flaw and that is fine that is fine because not every movie is perfect i mean yes i mean the pacing the pacing was was off i mean the pacing is we had a pacing issue in this movie but i I actually enjoyed this movie the performances were good i love the visual effects and especially carrie fisher's posthumous performance as princess leia i think is a pretty good send-off i actually like the return i actually love the return of lando carousium played by billy d williams even even though it, even though it was a minor role, but it, hey, it, it's still nice to see him back on board the Millennium Falcon. 
And uh, surprisingly, I'm actually surprised that the Emperor actually returned to this movie. It was basically a big surprise. Not to mention the first, not to mention the, the trailers. So, I think the trailers kind of gave it away. But uh, who's to say? I mean, <laughs> I mean, hey, you got to keep it under wraps. And I actually liked how J.J. Uh, Abrams came back to uh, direct the last one, despite the the previous reception of The Last Jedi, but in the end, it was actually a pretty good movie. I actually like the movie. Despite the flaws it has, it is actually a pretty good movie. Well, at least, uh, at least we got Mandalorian right now. Well, actually, even though the first season of The Mandalorian is over, so we can't wait to see more uh, op open-door opportunities for Star Wars in the near future, whether it's in spin-offs or TV series. Speaking of which, can't wait to see what uh, season two of the Mandalorian will be like in two, in fall of 2020, and the season seven return of Star Wars: The Clone Wars, and sometime in February of 2020 on Disney Plus. Okay, moving forward. Oh, oh, and by the way, uh, <clears throat> since this is the uh, last Star Wars movie, rest in peace, Carrie Fisher. You are now one with the Force, and thank you for being being our princess in. Princess Layla and Star Wars. May the Force be with you. Alright. Alright. <clears throat> Moving on. Number 9. Spies in Disguise. In this animated film, the film follows Lance Sterling, played by, voiced by Will Smith, a secret agent working for the HTUV. Actually, I forgot the uh, acronyms for that. I actually forgot what it, may, what it stands for, but I know it's a... Uh, but I know, but I know, it's a secret agent organization. So anyway, moving on. So basically, Lance Sterling, who suddenly gets uh, falsely accused as a traitor, traitor to a villain named Killian, voiced by Ben Mendelsohn. So so Lance teams up with a uh, with Walter, play voiced by Tom Holland, to turn invisible, but instead turns into a pigeon instead. Talk about pigeon impossible. <laughs> Actually, I think there was. Uh, I think there was something before Spies in Disguise was actually... I think this was based off Pigeon Impossible. I don't know if that's true or not, but eh, anyway. <laughs> so this leads Walter and Lance to team up to team up and stop Killian with the help of Walter's gadgets and some pigeons to help. What I actually like about this movie is the fact that Tom Holland's character is basically a... a uh, kind of a... Uh, to put it politely, a... Uh, a smart uh, scientist at, at best, but actually, but actually in this movie, uh, Walter Walter got fired by Lance Sterling because of the fact that Walter actually replaced one of his gadgets with kitty glitter on one of his on one of his missions, which actually surprisingly surprisingly worked well because some of Walter's gadgets gadgets actually worked out. It's kind of like the kind of like a fact that uh, sometimes it's better to stop the stop the villain safe than being dangerous. Well. Technically, uh, in most uh, missions, is kind of dangerous, but but I actually like the gadgets that Walter has in this movie. So, and it actually worked out pretty. It actually worked out pretty well, even though they're actually pretty funny too. What I actually like about this movie is that it tackled a lot of spy cliches, especially the part. Especially the part. I think it was a. I think uh, there was a Spider-Man joke in this one. Not to mention Tom Holland played Spider Spider-Man in Spider-Man movies, but I think it was I, I can't remember which moment it was. But like, no, I mean I I mean I, I made up the joke. It, it was a joke I made up because I because I think because I think it was the fact of how uh, Tom Holland and Will Smith were trying to like get over to one building to another. So 
despite the fact that Will Smith plays a pigeon in this movie, which I think was actually pretty hilarious. I mean, hey, who doesn't want, hey, who doesn't love pigeons? Who doesn't love this? I mean, hey, who wants to see a pigeon go on a spy mission? I, I think that's actually pretty clever. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's actually a pretty funny movie. <laughs> all right, all right. Anyway, moving on. Number eight, Spider-Man Far From Home. Speaking of Tom Holland, this second installment takes Peter Parker, a.k.a. Spider-Man, and the gang on a trip to Europe at the events of Avengers Endgame. Uh, throughout the movie, Peter Parker is led to very tough choices on whether he wants to save the world or just spend time with his friends and impress his love for, for MJ, played by Zendaya, while, while they're traveling to Europe. However, uh... However, the trip goes uh, in the opposite direction because the Elementals uh, invade Europe. So Spider-Man teams up with uh, with the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, which basically Nick Fury, played by Samuel L. Jackson, with a newcomer named Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, who, later in the film, was a former par partner with Tony Stark and becomes the villain in this movie. Now... I'm pretty sure I know what you're talking about. Quentin Beck, a.k.a. Mysterio, is one of Spider-Man's greatest villains. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, 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 he is. He is basically one of Spider-Man's greatest villains. Not to mention, actually, not to mention, I actually like this movie. I actually like this movie. It's actually one of the, actually one of the best Spider-Man movies out there. Now, here's the thing. This won't top, uh, this will never not top, uh, Spider-Man 2, which is basically Tobey Maguire, because, and by the way, I love, the, I really, really love Tobey Maguire's Spider-Man. I mean, because Tobey Maguire will forever be, be the Spider-Man that we know and love today, but hey, Tom Holland does it too. And Andrew Garfield, but hey, hey, Tom Holland actually holds his own pretty well with, uh, with, with Spider-Man. And I'm not, and I'm not lying. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not lying. He actually did a pretty good job. Tom Holland does a very good job as Spider-Man. And, and anyway, um, I I actually love Spider-Man: Far From Home. The action sequences were good. Some of the visual, actually, the visual effects were actually pretty good. And I love the character take of Quentin Beck and Mysterio. Just to, like know that Quentin Beck used to work with Tony Stark. That's actually pretty surprising, too, because, and it's actually pretty surprising, because uh, we actually got a clip from Captain America Civil War where we actually see Quentin Beck at uh, one of Stark's, uh, Stark's uh, conventions of some sort, although that was not included in the Captain America Civil War. That was actually included in Spider-Man Far From Home, which was actually pretty surprising. And I do li like the story. The story itself is actually pretty good. Actually, fun fact, speaking of Mysterio, uh, did you guys know that uh, Bruce Campbell was originally going to play Mysterio in a canceled Spider-Man movie w with Tobey Maguire? Did you guys not know that? Not know that? I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys do. Some who, because uh, Sam Raimi was originally going to direct a fourth Spider-Man movie after the reception of Spider-Man Three, which includes a uh, Mysterio as a rather small cameo than than a major than a major role because because Bruce Campbell's care cameos in the first three Spider-Man movies were were supposed to be were supposed to be the same characters kind of like chame chameleon a little bit but actually it's actually pretty mysterious pretty mysterious for Mysterio to be played by 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 a same character which is actually pretty surprising and that's actually a pretty nice touch to it. 
even though we never got a chance to see that. But hey, at least we got Jake Gyllenhaal playing Quentin Beck Mysterio. So that's actually pretty good. Like I said, I really love the movie. Spider-Man Far From Home became the highest grossing Spider-Man movie of ever to date. And that is actually basically saying something. All right, I'm going to move on right now. Number seven, Shazam. It seems like it seems like DC is on a roll this year because Shazam is one of DC's critical acclaimed movies since 2017's Wonder Woman. The film follows Billy Batson, played by uh, Zachary Levi, or actually, uh, oh shoot, I f- forgot the forgot the act, the, the kid that who played uh, Billy Batson in his uh, in his uh, kid form. Actually, I forgot. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Zachary Levi does play Billy Batson, aka Shazam, who is basically a foster kid becomes the titular becomes the titular character after say, saying the wizard's name, Shazam. Yep, you know what that means. <laughs> yep, which gives him the ability the ability to have speed, strength, immu- immunity, among many other abilities. With these powers, Billy Basson also faces his enemy, Dr. Thaddeus Sivana, played by Mark Strong. I actually like this movie. It's kind of family-friendly, but it actually... Uh, it actually does tackle a lot of pretty good elements from the comic books, even even elements from the 1980s. Actually, the, the musical score itself also pays homage to some of John Williamson's musical scores, like uh, Star like Star Wars, Jurassic Park. I think there was a hidden Jurassic Park joke in one of the doors, basically the T-Rex war, and I, I'm pretty sure there was. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, anyway, it was actually a pretty good movie. I love the direction that it gave from David F. Sandberg. But fun fact, David F. Sandberg voices uh, uh, Mr. Mind in a post credit scene. There's a, se- there's, a, there's, there's a sequel plan for that. <laughs> anyway, anyway, it is a good movie. This is a pretty good movie. It does tackle some pretty good issues between Billy Batson and his... Uh, including, including his foster brother, brother including his, member, his foster family members... Well, well, so I, and the action sequences were pretty good too, even though we we never got to see that many action sequences. But hey, it's an origin story, so it kind of makes sense to have it. But anyway, it's a very good movie to watch. I love Shazam, and it's also a Christmas movie. Fun fact: it's a Christmas movie. And hey, hey, if you like Christmas movies, don't forget to check out my uh, rigid, don't forget to check out my top ten favorite Christmas movies of all time back in episode twelve. So anyway. Alright, anyway, now I'm about to move on to my next ent- entry. So, anyway, one, two, three, Shazam! Alright, number five, Rocket Man. I think, it, oh man, if I'm saying the lyrics correctly, I think everything's going to be a long, long time because Rocket Man is another musical biopic win for Dexter Fletcher. Speaking of Dexter Fletcher, he not only directed Rocket Man, but he also took part in the direction for another musical biopic. Yep, Bohemian Rhapsody. Bohemian Rhapsody was another musical biopic that came out came out the year before Rocket Man. Although Bohemian Rhapsody was actually directed by Brian Singer, but he actually left the film and was replaced by Fletcher. Although Brian Singer still received the sole directing credit for Bohemian Rhapsody, so Dexter Fletcher got. Got an executive producing credit, although we kind of know what happened in that story between between those two. Actually, we kind of know what ha- I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know what happened during the production of Bohemian Rhapsody, but I'm not talking about Bohemian Rhapsody right now. Actually, that was a few. Well, that was a little bit of it, Bohemian Rhapsody. But anyway, uh, we're talking about Rocket Man because Rocket Man's one of is uh, Dexter Fletcher's uh, second musical biopic that he's doing right now. So, 
All right, uh, however, however, yep, yep. All right, anyway, Rocket Man follows the story and life of Reginald Dwight, also known as Elton John, played by Taron Egerton, Taron Egerton, who grows up to become a famous musician while also going into his uh, sexuality life and, uh, and struggles of addiction, which is basically kind of the point in the story. Basically, he's showing the life of Elton John as a kid while and growing up to become a successful successful musician while facing some certain issues now i actually like this movie it's actually a pretty good movie i i, I love the musical scores hey actually fun fact i mean the the musical scores in general the musical the musical song the song numbers in general it actually felt like and like we're watching an actual stage musical a little bit and it's actually pretty impressive i'm not i'm i actually like this movie because it actually it actually felt like an actual staged musical, despite the fact that it is also a musical biopic. It's actually a pretty good movie, and uh, not to mention, uh, uh, not to ma- not to mention, uh, it does have a similar connection to Bohemian Rhapsody. Not to mention the fact that John Reed was one of the music managers for both Queen and Elton John, which is actually a very a true fact. I'm pretty sure that's a true fact. So anyway, anyway, uh, I actually like this movie. Uh, Taron Egerton play, played a very good Elton John. Actually, not to mention, Taron Egerton actually played uh, I'm Still Standing in the movie Sing, which was uh, which was another movie that Taron Egerton was in. But he actually played a gorilla in, uh, in Sing, where he actually plays uh, I'm Still Standing by Elton John and during during one of the during one of the show one of the in one of the in the finale of the movie also in the recent Kingsman movie Kingsman the Golden Circle uh, they Elton John was actually in that movie as a cameo well, actually I'm more of an extended extended cameo as a as a hostage thankful thankfully Taron Egerton plays Eggsy in that movie with Colin Firth to help save Elton John and now Taron Egerton plays Elton John in Rocket Man which is actually pretty surprising actually that is actually pretty surprising I got I gotta give him points for that Give him good, good points for that. So, any, anyway, now I'm about to now I'm about to move on right now. So, here we go. Number four, Frozen Two. Okay, okay. So anyway, uh, Disney has a pretty good year with their films as of now. I mean, they have a lot of films that they actually had in, in 2019, and and Frozen Two is no exception. Okay, so basically, I wasn't sure about Frozen 2. I did have some doubts about this sequel, but actually after the trailer came out, I actually had a change of heart due to the film's tone. I, I, other than the reason why, well, I think the, the movie is going for a much more different tone, which I think actually might be pretty good. And it actually did. Once the movie came out, it exceeded my expect- expectation from the tone of the film. It got me good. It, it was... The tone itself was actually pretty good. I actually loved it, like this movie, because the film follows Elsa, Anna, and Kristoff going on an, on an adventure into the unknown and discover Elsa's magical powers while saving the kingdom of Arendelle. That's actually basically that's actually basically the point of this movie. Like basically, in this movie, Elsa is trying to discover her powers. Like, and it turns out it's actually the fifth element. Elsa's the fifth element, because the four elements that you probably know is earth, air, fire, and water, water, which technically the fifth element is ice. 
that's actually very surprising. That's, and and the story itself is actually pretty good. And the songs, I thought the songs were actually, the songs were actually pretty good. I mean, not as memorable as the as the as the the ones in in the first Frozen movie, but they're actually pretty good. They're actually pretty good at best. So anyway, it's actually pretty good. Anyway, I like Frozen Two is a very pretty good movie. And I mean, hey, it may not top the original, but it's still a good movie at best. All right, all right, that's good. All right. Moving on to the top three. Number three, Avengers Endgame. This is the film that culminated 22 Marvel Cinematic Universe films since 2008's Iron Man. In the aftermath of the snap, the Avengers go, go on a time heist travel to recollect the six Infinity Stones and snap their way to bring back half of humanity, to which Thanos, played by Josh Bolin, have succeed, succeeded in Avengers Infinity War. I know a lot of you guys are saying that Avengers Endgame should be my number one choice, but actually there are a couple more other movies. I'm, there's actually a movie that, that kind of made my top choice and more of a split decision. But anyway, mo- but anyway, uh, Avengers Endgame is literally the greatest Marvel movie ever. Like literally something that every Marvel fan literally dreamed of. Even the movie fans in general, we get to see all of our... All uh, we get to see the Avengers team up, settle their differences, and literally go back in time to f- to collect the Infinity Stones and and reverse the snap. Not to mention the final battle itself is something that every Marvel fan dreamed of. Having all of the Marvel characters come back after the snap, literally, and it had the amazing cinematic moment that we've been waiting for since two thousand eight. Literally, literally, that final battle was so great. So great, especially the moment beforehand was so amazing. Like, literally, literally great. <laughs> Rest in peace, Iron Man. We love you 3,000. And, man, Avengers Endgame was, was really a great movie for 2019. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I need a moment, man. <laughs> All right, moving on. Number two, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When it comes to movies, Quentin Tarantino comes to mind. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is Tarantino's love letter to the 1960s, taking place in an alternate 1969. And when I mean alternate, I mean it is basically the Quentin Tarantino movie universe. So yes, this is set in the Quentin Tarantino movie universe, not to mention the ninth film that is directed by Quentin Tarantino. The film follows Rick Dalton, played by Leonardo DiCaprio, and Cliff Booth, played by Brad Pitt, as they navigate the changes that are happening in the film industry through multiple storylines to create a fairy tale tribute for the golden age of Hollywood. The title itself is a reference to Once Upon a Time in America and Once Upon a Time in the West. As with most Quentin Tarantino movies, there are several various, various Easter eggs from his other films. From his other films, mostly mostly references for Pulp Fiction, Inglorious Bastards, and Kill Bill. Yes, you're gonna see a lot of references from from a lot of Quentin Tarantino's movies and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, including some Easter eggs too. Yep, I actually like this movie. I mean, it may be a long movie, it may be long, but it's still actually pretty good. Actually, a uh, little little quick history. Uh, 19th, for those of you who have seen this movie or have not seen this movie. The, uh, the film also includes the, the story clues the life of Sharon Tate, to which I'm pretty sure a lot of you guys know the story. Basically, in 1969, 
in August, uh, I think it was August of 1969, or I could be wrong, but it was in August of 1969, uh, members of the Manson of the of the Manson family killed uh, uh, the wife of Roman Pl- of director Roman Polanski, which is basically Sharon Tate. But in this movie, in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the members of the Manson family almost went to Sharon Tate's house, but but it was caught off guard by by Rick Dal- Rick Dalton. Because, hey, I mean, like, uh, driving out in the middle of the night is kind of crazy for neighbors. So, yeah, I can understand why. But it makes them, but I actually like the point of the ending where the members of the Manson family run to the wrong house. And I consider the last 10 minutes of the movie to be the most Tarantino moment of all. Yep. <laughs> the Manson family fights Cliff Booth. Literally the greatest moment, the greatest moment in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood was the ending. Kind of similar to Inglorious Bastards, but anyway. But anyway, whenever a movie is set, whenever a movie made by Quentin Tarantino is set in an alternate universe, you know it's get, you know you're gonna see a lot of changes, despite the fact that there will be history being being repeated itself. Literally, literally, the last 10 minutes of that film is amazing. And it's literally worth it. I mean, yes, yes, yes. I know the movie itself is good, but hey, the last 10 minutes of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is good. Alright, time to move on to my number one choice. Okay, and... uh, So anyway, I wasn't really sure for my number one choice. And I wasn't really sure if this last entry will be my number one choice. And I am pretty sure a lot of people will say that this movie belongs on a lower entry, or at least on a number three in- entry. But please, ladies and gentlemen, bear with me as I send in the clowns. That is right, folks. The Joker. So, taking the last laugh on this list is Batman's greatest villains slash gr- Yes, Batman's greatest villains of all time, gaining a supervillain origin story. Uh, was it a supervillain origin story that we asked for? Eh, probably, yes. Yes, yes, that is right, folks. And my number one choice is Joker. Set in Gotham City in the 1980s, the film follows Arthur Fleck, played by Joaquin Phoenix, who is a failed stand-up comedian who is having a rough time in society through mental illness of his laughter and troubled life. And he is being mocked by a lot of people, including late-night show host Murray Franklin, played by Robert De Niro, for playing a video of Arthur's failed stand-up routine. This leads Arthur to become the Joker. And while Arthur did get a chance to appear in Murray Franklin's late-night show, he becomes crazy and, yep, yep, I'm pretty sure everybody knows what happened in that scene. Uh, the Joker kills Barry, Barry Franklin and later becomes the clown prince of crime. Okay, I this, the Joker, is literally the movie that I really, really enjoyed. Because you don't really see a lot of action set pieces. Because the reason why, because the Joker is basically telling a story story from his perspective. And because we traded, the, because the film traded trade the access chemicals uh, 
chemical storylines for the Joker with a society with society for the Joker of how Arthur Fleck becomes the Joker. This is something that that we can relate to because we can understand why how why and how Arthur Fleck becomes the Joker. He was mocked. He was ridiculed. And and yeah, he had mental illness, but not to mention the fact that it also tackles violence. It tackled the viol- violence and mental illness in this movie, which I think was actually pretty clever. Like, we understand why, why, why the Joker is doing this. Why the Joker is Joker in the first place. We know why. And it's actually, ama- and it's actually amazing. It's an amazing piece of art that we're watching. Todd Phillips directed this movie. With Bradley Cooper producing this film, not to mention, and also, it also ha- also references some of Martin Scorsese's films, films like Taxi Driver and uh, oh shoot, I forgot the other film, but it had uh, but Robert De Niro's character was also in another Martin Scorsese film. Taxi Driver is one of them, but I forgot what the other film was. But but mostly Taxi Taxi Driver. This is like a, a gr- an amazing film, and yes, there was there were. There were a lot of responses, divided responses from film from no, not filmmakers, not film no, ah, sorry, not filmmakers, but like some critics. A lot of people and critics took issue with the violent, the portrayal of violence, mental illness in this movie. But I think this film did pretty well. We got pretty well with those serious topics because it told a story of how the Joker becomes the Joker, and it's a very serious movie. Especially in the musical score by by Hildor Guillano Dottir, to which she did an amazing job with the music. She did amazing, especially Joaquin Phoenix's performance as the Joker. But like I said, the Joker got the last laugh. However, because it, because it became one of the highest grossing films of 2019, and Joaquin Phoenix and Hildor Guillano Dottir both won Golden Globes for the Joker. Well, here's hoping for Joaquin Phoenix to get his Oscar. And there you have it, folks. That is my top 10 2019 movies. So anyway, what do you guys think? I know a lot of you get. I know a lot of, a lot of you people are asking why Joker is my number one choice. Well, it's kind of my choice, but you know, sometimes we all have a certain facts and opinions of movies, and that is a fair point to make. So in, anyway, uh, thank you all for t- thank you all for tuning in to Kodo's Cinema. Thank you all for tuning in to Koto Cinema. I'm, I'm your host, Mark Koto. I'll we'll tune in uh, not next week because next week is Martin Luther King Jr. Jr. Day. So we'll we will tune in to Koto Cinema in in about two weeks. I'm your host, Mark Koto. Thank you all for tuning in. Have a good first day of school, and I'll see you all next time. Bye.